Hey guys, welcome to Precision Nutrition's The Complete Fitness Professional Podcast. I'm Dr. John Berardi, co-founder of Precision Nutrition, and if you're not familiar with us, over the last 15 years, we've become the world's largest online nutrition, fitness, and health coaching company. Most interesting for health and fitness pros, we've turned the lessons learned coaching over 200,000 clients into a complete nutrition and health coaching system called the Precision Nutrition Certification. It's the industry's most recognized career-changing coaching system anywhere. In this podcast, which is a mix of recorded articles, interviews, and roundtable discussions, myself and my Precision Nutrition colleagues will coach you on growing your business, helping more people, and becoming a better coach. We'll help you become more than a personal trainer, strength coach, or nutritionist. We'll help you become the complete fitness professional. So let's get started. Okay, so today's topic, we're gonna talk about tough clients. And you guys know these types of people, right? They're the ones who sort of, you're like gnashing your teeth and biting your tongue and you're like, why the hell won't you people do what's good for you? I'm telling you what to do and it's good for you, why won't you do it? I think though that we, we need not take it personally because this is a problem, a way bigger problem in other industries besides ours. For example, let's say you're a physician and you're prescribing life-saving cancer, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease medicine. Sick people are coming to you, not just to get fit or feel a little better, like so that they don't die is why they're with you. And you give them a pill that takes 20 seconds a day to take. How often do you think they'll take it? Well, I have some interesting data right behind me here that suggests that they only take it about half the time. Are you guys shocked by this? Does that make you concerned or dismayed? <laughs> it does to me. It also, at first, kind of got me pretty disheartened because I'm like, all right, well, I work with clients and I ask them to do things like exercise for five hours a week and eat foods that maybe they don't like the taste of at first and do lots and lots of things that takes a hell of a lot longer than 20 seconds to swallow a pill. So if doctors can't even get their patients to swallow a pill for 20 seconds in the morning, how the hell am I going to get people to do all these exercise and nutrition things? I was really depressed. But there's some hope and there's some good news. And I want to tell you a little bit about my story, actually, how this all sort of came together for me. When I graduated, I guess I started training people actually when I was like 18. And uh, I put my way through school personal training, basically. So when I graduated, I decided I wanted to run a personal training business. And I moved down to Miami Beach, packed up the family van. I didn't have a car, so I, Dad, could I borrow the van? So I loaded up the van with all my crap, and I drove down to Miami Beach. And I didn't have a job. I didn't have a place to stay or whatever, and figured all that out when I got there. At the time, and this was many moons ago, there was just great personal training fees in Miami. So like right out of the gate, I was making like 120 bucks an hour. So I was like, wow, this is sweet, right? I, remember, I have zero money. I just got out of university, which I paid for myself. I also land in this environment where I'm working with really high-profile people, okay? So I was super lucky. I didn't even know what the hell I had. I'm like 23, and I'm walking into it, and there's TV and movie actors and actresses, musicians, professional sports athletes. They're somehow my clients, like in the first month of training people. Now again, I've been doing this for a while and I consider myself a relatively smart guy, but I'm just in the midst of this kind of environment. I'm making crap loads of money. I have clients who are like, oh hey, JB, which is what my friends call me, can I fly you down to Brazil with me this weekend to train me? I'm like, uh, 
Oh, I got some other clients. Now I'll buy them all out. Just come with me for the weekend. <laughs> and you're like, okay, that's cool. So again, I'm 23, I'm doing this. Really, come on, let's be honest. I think I'm the shit at this point, right? <laughs> After a while though, I mean, once the novelty of all this wears off, you start to actually just look at your practice and how well you're doing. If I start with 20 new clients, I'm starting to see this trend, okay? So one out of every 20 gets what I call like a jaw-dropping transformation. Do you guys know what I mean when I say that? Yeah. Like, holy shit, what happened to you? <laughs> I didn't even recognize you. Like family members don't even recognize you and stuff. So that's like the jaw-dropping transformation. And then maybe you get nine people who get, we'll call noticeable results. So what is that? That's just like, hey, I see some things changing, it feels good, performance, body composition, health, whatever. We notice what's happening and it's really positive. Nine out of 20. And then you get the five who have like poor results, quite honestly, but they feel better either because they have a trainer, so they can be like, yo, so my trainer said, whatever, right? So that's like those people. Or they're just happy that they're not dying at a really quick pace, you know? You got those people. And then you have the five who drop out, right? Now, I believe every trainer goes through this kind of three-stage process in realizing where they're at in the pecking order and how good they are. Stage one of development. That's the I'm awesome <laughs> stage, all right? You guys are laughing because you know this is true. If clients aren't succeeding, why? It's not because of me. It's because they're just not awesome like me. We say things like, and you guys know, I mean, this is the sobering moment here. They're not trying hard enough. They don't want it badly enough. They're not doing what I tell them to do. Or when they tell me they are, they must be lying. <laughs> and this is so ingrained in fitness, it's kind of sad, actually. We just think it's the responsibility of the client. We just throw some stuff at them the stuff that's based on our awesomeness, and then they're just going to respond. And if they don't, pff, it's because they suck. <laughs> Stage two, you get over yourself. You start to look at the actual data of your clients, and you start to say, oh, this kind of is frustrating a little bit. If I'm so awesome, why are so few of my clients really kicking butt here? So this is like the, ah, I have to answer some hard questions. Why do so few clients get jaw-dropping results? And why are only half of my clients even getting decent results? What's going on here? And that sort of lets us ask a number of other important questions. And they're hard questions, because when you think you're awesome, you don't want to face these realities. So, I mean, you come to a conclusion. One conclusion is, well, it's what they're doing outside the gym. I'm spending three to five hours a week with these people, and there's some important things happening with the other couple hundred hours that they're spending when they're not with me, right? What kinds of things are they doing outside the gym? Eating, they're eating, and maybe at McDonald's or other places. What else can impact on this? Alcohol consumption, and what else? Sleeping, and lifestyle stressors, and all this other stuff that we know is getting more and more important. I started to think, okay, I gotta start talking about this stuff with my clients, right? You guys are probably well past that stage since you're here to perform better, but you start thinking, I gotta talk about this stuff with my clients, right? I gotta impress upon them the importance of making some nutrition changes and good choices and sleeping and not being so damn stressed all the time. So I, I gotta talk about this stuff. <laughs> they just never listen. But again, we have to remember, if you give someone a pill to help them not die, they may only take it half the time. We always joke around in fitness that people are looking for a magic pill, right? 
where I was talking about, oh yeah, they just want the magic pill, the magic bullet or whatever. Well, I submit that even if we had that thing, <laughs> I mean, we have to look at it from the trainer perspective too. If you had that magic pill and you thought all you'd have to do was give it to your clients, you would be wrong. There's another piece to this puzzle. I went through my stages here. I'm awesome, then this is frustrating, and then maybe it's me. Maybe I'm not that awesome, or maybe I'm missing some crucial thing in my understanding of how to work with clients that is my limiting factor. I started asking questions. What can I be doing? What do I need to learn to be better, to do better at this, this thing that I do, this personal training thing, this thing that I want to help people change their lives? You know, my solution was to just learn more. I went through this whole educational journey. I went and did a master's degree, and then I worked in a research lab, cardiovascular research lab in Pittsburgh, and we looked at stress, and we looked at cardiovascular disease, and we looked at fitness. And then I went and did a PhD in nutritional biochemistry, and I got a bunch of certifications, and I was like, I got to get in this. I need to learn more because I was the limiting factor, and if I learn more, then I won't be anymore. All right? And that makes sense, right? It's good logic. I think it's good thinking. So then I graduate, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on education and loads of time. And then I graduate and I go back out and I start working with clients again. And I'm super excited. I'm like, hey, I've got all these wicked tools now. It's going to be like jaw-dropping transformations left and right. I'm going to be the best trainer in the world. Look out. And then I get back into the field and I'm kind of disappointed because I know all this really high-end, upper limits of physiology stuff, but it's still just the simple habits that are tripping my clients up, and I know nothing about how to deal with that. I was kind of sad. <laughs> you know how long it takes to get a PhD and a master's? <laughs> so at this point, I did a huge U-turn in my career. I don't regret any of the stuff that I did. In fact, getting some of those degrees in part is probably why I'm standing in front of you today. Yet, I started spending a lot of time learning about a field called change psychology. I got introduced to this by a couple of great people, and then I started looking into the actual research. And some of these books up here on the screen are sort of good synopses of what's happening in the field of change psychology. And some of you may be familiar with some of these books, things like Motivational Interviewing, Switch is a really accessible book, The Power of Less, Crucial Conversations, Influence. These books all tackle a separate issue of change psychology or a separate sort of line of thinking in change psychology. And doing this type of reading literally changed everything about the way that I coach and the way that I work with clients for the better. I would suggest that if you want to improve as a trainer, coming to perform better is awesome, but there's this whole other line of thinking and reading that you need to do, and I would start with these books. Just these six. And if you do one every three months, in the next year or so, you'll have a tremendously improved skill set. Motivational interviewing is one of the best coaching books that I've ever read. It's really deep. It's kind of like a clinical book, but the notion here is that you talking to your clients, the actual conversations that you have can either do one of two things when you're trying to help them change. One is make change more likely. Two is make change less likely. Now, I don't know if any of us have ever thought about this notion, 
but you can actually sit down with a client and try and help them change their nutrition or their sleep or their stress. And by pleading with them and trying to convince them to make this change, you can make them less likely to do it. Even with all of your good intentions, and even with wanting to help them so badly, you can make them less likely to change. And I'd like to give you an example of that so you don't have to just go read the book to figure it out. Let's say I have a client who has a terrible diet. Clients have a terrible diet sometimes? So what do we do? We're like, okay, I want you to write down what you're eating for me. Give me a three-day diet record, maybe even a one-day diet record. So write it down. So then you come and sit down and we're going to talk about your nutrition today. What usually happens? No matter how we couch it, we look at what they're eating and we say, yeah, this is shit. Right? And I mean, you may be much nicer than that. <laughs> but you're basically saying what you're doing here really kind of is wrong. You're doing this wrong. How often do you guys like to be told that you're wrong? Not very often. Deeper than how you want to be talked to, what happens when people tell you you're wrong? Even if you know you're wrong, if someone tells you you're wrong, what happens? What's the first sort of emotion that bubbles up? Defense. You get defensive. You try and defend your actions. Even if you know they're wrong, you're like, no, 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 wait a second. I need to explain why I'm doing it this way to you. You made me feel like an idiot for being wrong, and I'm going to justify my behaviors. Even if I know I want to change them, what happens psychologically? You deepen your resistance to change. You start to say, look, I had good reasons for doing this stupid stuff. I need you to understand them. And when you start trying to convince other people that you have good reasons for doing things that even you want to change, you become less likely to change. Do you guys see how that works? Maybe it's a little bit counterintuitive, but you know you do this yourselves. And you know that people you talk to do this all the time. And your clients certainly do it. They're humans. It's no different. So motivational interviewing takes that and teaches you how to speak to your clients in a way that's going to make them more likely to change. That's not accusational. That's not blaming. That sort of involves them in the change process. And we'll talk about some tactics and strategies coming up. I really think this is critical and important. Okay, so these books are awesome. Going back to my story for a minute, what this type of learning did for my career and sort of what it culminated in. Okay, everyone, that's it for this week's edition of Precision Nutrition's The Complete Fitness Professional Podcast. For more information about how to become the complete fitness professional yourself and for some awesome free nutrition and coaching resources, come visit us on the web at www.precisionnutrition.com. You could also visit us on Facebook or on Twitter at InsidePN. Talk to you next time.